Amen. Oh, well, thank you so much for that welcome. It's uh, great to see you all. I extend my welcome and to those that are online. I think we have some of our family that are clearing up at New Wine. I had a text this morning from one of them. They're putting down tents, but they're listening to us online. So you're welcome, um, family extended there. Um, When Sarah emailed me to say, would you be willing to speak over the summer? Of course, my first reaction was, not on your life. Um, Do you know how scary it is to stand up there in front of all those people? Do you know what they might all be thinking? Absolutely no way. And then almost immediately, I felt God say to me, really? Have I not been doing anything in your life this year that you would like to share or you'd be excited to share? And of course, I'm like... Yes, Lord, you have, haven't you? And he's like, yes, and that's what you're going to share. So I emailed Sarah back and I said, yes, I will do it. But I tell you what, I take my hats off to you guys that do it every single week because the energy and the, the emotional, everything else that it takes and the, the fear, it's, uh, you know, it does kind of uh, make you realize how amazing you guys are. So thank you. But as I said, I wanted to share with you something that I felt God has been doing in my life. But I want to start by asking you a couple of questions. The first question I'd like to ask you is, how many of you keep a spiritual journal of some kind? Just put your hands up. This could be something you write in. It could be pictures that you do. It could be anything artistic that you do. Something to remind you of what God is saying in your lives. Just put your hands up. Okay, have a a little look around at these people. Um, hands down. Another question. This might be a bit of a wacky one for some of you, but have any of you ever asked God for a word for your year? Anybody ever asked God for a word for the year? Put your hands up. So I was at New Wine a few years ago, and I was challenged to ask God for a word for the year. And I thought, okay, that's maybe a little bit odd, but I'll try it. So in January of of one year, I said, okay, Lord, you know, can I have a word for the year? And I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And, but basically, I've kind of done it for the last few years, and I have felt that God has given me words for the years. Sometimes, one year it was the word joy. I mean, who wouldn't want that? I had a jo- word joy. The next year I asked, and guess what? He gave me joy again. And I'm like, what, the same word as last year? And I felt him say, yeah, you didn't have enough joy last year. I'm going to give you a bit more joy this year. So I thought I'm up for that. I've had patience. Didn't like that one so much. But I've had patience. I've had other words over the year. And this year, I've actually got a copy of my journal from the third of the first 23 there. Excuse the writing. It's awful. You probably won't be able to read it. But the word for 2023 was abide. John 15 verse 5, which is actually my baptism verse. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. That's going to be a good one this year, Lord. Thank you for that. And then two weeks later, I came along to Coastline. And Sarah stood up here and she said, Um, Coastline family, we've got a new evening service starting this year, and it's going to be named it. We've prayed about it, and we've named it, and it's going to be called Abide, John 15. And I'm thinking, okay, double confirmation. We like that. That's really good. And then I went to college, so I teach at Moreland's College over in Sopley, and the first chapel of the year, a group of students and another lecturer stood up, and they said, we're um, taking the chapel, the first chapel of the year. We're going to take it on something that we feel God is saying to us as a uh, college for the year. And we're going to take it on John 15, verse 5, and abide in him. And then, as if that's not enough, I was at a wedding a few weeks ago from one of our students where I was kind of preparing the word and saying, Lord, what am I going to say? How, what am I going to share? 
And the, the preacher, unusual for a wedding, actually preached on John 15, verse 5. So Adam Bird, if you're around or listening, you might recognize one, possibly two illustrations from this. But I have it on good authority, therefore, that John 15, verse 5 is what God wants to speak to us and into our hearts this morning. Whether we're visitors, whether we're watching online, whether we've been here for years and years and years, I think God is speaking to us even deeper about abiding. And it's lovely, isn't it, when we get to share stories with each other and hear what God's been doing. So we're going to set the scene. We are going to read in a minute, but we're not going to read from the different. So we're going to set the scene. The scene is the Passover meal. I'm sure many of you are aware of that. So the scene is Jesus is sat at the table with his disciples and they're having their final meal together. And Jesus knows, doesn't he, that this is his last big opportunity with all of his disciples together to actually share and communicate the message that he wants to give. So that's the scene. And I've asked somebody, what we're going to do is we're going to actually close our eyes. So rather than read it together, we're going to close our eyes and we're going to set the scene a little bit about what that might look like. So I'd like you to close your eyes, okay? And imagine that you're sat at the table, okay? It's hot because it's obviously... Middle East, it's hot, the crickets are making the noise outside, and you've sat there, you've had a lovely meal, you're you're all full, your stomach's full, you're relaxed, you're chilled, and Jesus is going to speak to you now, because the word of God is living, and as it spoke to the disciples back then, it speaks to us today. So I've asked somebody who sounds a bit more like Jesus than me, to come and to read it. So keep your eyes closed and imagine this is Jesus. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more, even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in me. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away. And withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, 
so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Father, we thank you for those living words. We thank you that as Jesus spoke them one-to-one to his disciples all those years ago, so he speaks them into our hearts this morning. Would you help us to understand them afresh? Would you help us to hear what you're saying to each one of us this morning through them? In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus uses an image of the vineyard. And this would have been an image that his disciples were very familiar with. Because it was an image that was part of the very life and economy of Israel at the time. So they would have understood the vineyards. They would have had them around them. They would have seen them probably daily as they walked. But what I love about these verses is, and I asked Phil to read a good amount of that scripture, because sometimes we just read little chunks, don't we? And we don't get the full kind of picture or the full meaning. And he read right to verse 11, because I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the Gospels, and sometimes when I read Jesus' direct words, sometimes I'm left a little bit kind of clueless or questioning, or what on earth does he mean by that? Because he gives us some pretty unusual and out-of-the-box kind of uh, parables sometimes, doesn't he? And some of the things we read, we think, now, does he mean this? Does he mean this? How am I meant to apply this? But in these verses, he's very clear about what it means. He even says to us, I have told you this so that your joy may, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So he's telling us this. I'm telling you it because I want your joy to be complete. And I'm telling it to you because if a man remains in me, he will bear much fruit. And the Bible talks a lot about fruit, doesn't it? It talks about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, kindness. I'm not going to reel them off because otherwise people will start singing. All the gifts of the Spirit. Matthew 7 we're known by our fruit. And John was talking last week from Romans about how we are, as we bear fruit, we win others into the kingdom. So Jesus is telling us this so that we have joy complete and so that we are more fruitful. Now, I don't know about you, but actually, I'm, I'm up for that. I'm set up for more joy. And at this time, with what God is doing in our town and in our nation, I'm certainly up for more fruit, and we're up for more fruit, aren't we, as a church? Are we? Anybody else up for fruit? Anybody up for joy? Yeah, yeah, we'll have some more of that, Lord. Thank you very much. So we're going to have a little look in the next 13 minutes. If you haven't spotted it, there is a massive clock at the back there. I asked John when I started, do I need to put my phone, you know how some people do, put their phone over here or do whatever. Apparently, I am blessed in that I'm the first person that has had the privilege of this enormous clock in front of me, counting down the seconds as if it wasn't nerve-wracking enough as it is, that everybody else can see it too. Brilliant. But apparently it's going to be smaller in the future, so you have a a, a first opportunity today to count me down. Anyway, back to the scripture. 
So the first thing Jesus says in verse 1 is, I am the true vine. Now, isn't that amazing? He could have said, I am the vine, you are the branches, but he doesn't. He says, I am the true vine. And when something is true, it's reliable, it's certain, it's genuine, and it's authentic. So why the true vine? Why did he say the true vine? Well, I think he said the true vine because he knows his disciples and he knows us very well. And he knows how easy it is for counterfeit vines to pop up all over the place in our lives. So if the vine is the place that we need to be attached to, to know complete joy and fruitfulness, why is it that when other counterfeit vines prop up, We find ourselves attaching ourselves to them instead. What am I talking about in terms of counterfeit vines? Well, counterfeit vines can be anything in our life that takes us away from our main focus. So it could be relationships. So the wedding that I was at, this is the illustration from Adam Bird. The illustration that I was at from the wedding, he he reminded us of an example from an old film called Jerry Maguire. Anyone remember Jerry Maguire, the film? Well, I couldn't, didn't go back. I tried to find the whole film, but it's only a, I've only got it on DVD and I haven't got a DVD player anymore and all those modern things. So it's not on Netflix. So I Googled the clip that I was looking for. And it's the clip, those of you that will remember it, where Jerry Maguire, who is Tom Cruise, has had an argument with his wife. Can't remember her name, but it's Rennie Zellweger. And he's gone off and she's in a room with all of her friends and she's telling all of her friends how awful her husband is and, you know, they're all agreeing with her and it's all like this. Anyway, Jerry Maguire bursts in the front of the door and he starts this incredible speech about how incredible she is and how he's lost without her. And then he ends it by saying these famous words. Anybody know it? You complete me. You complete me. And she goes, you had me at hello. And I have to admit, when I, even when I watched a little clip on the video, I was like, oh. But the point is, if we are looking for any other relationship in any other human being to complete us, we're looking in the wrong place. We've attached ourselves to the wrong vine because we're not going to know that complete joy unless we are attached to the true vine. And it doesn't have to be a relationship, does it? It can be material possessions. It can be that new car that somebody else has got that we want. It can be that new dress. It can be that pair of Lucy and Yaks on Vinted, that if I just had those, my life would be complete. It can be anything that takes our time and attention away from the true vine. And we think it's going to bring us joy. And do you know what? It might do for a fleeting minute, It might do when you're wearing them and someone says, hey, those Lucian yaks look great on you. And you're like, yeah, thank you. But it's not lasting. It's not the lasting joy that Jesus is talking about when you're attached to the true vine and you know what it is to have that joy. It's not momentary. And then he talks about, in verse 2, this beautiful illustration, which I absolutely love. He says, I am the vine True vine, my father is the gardener. Now, the gardener of the vine, anybody here? And is, any, is there, just before I start saying stuff and people thinking what you're talking about, rubbish, any vineyard owners in the, in, the, in the house? Any vineyard owners here? Any gardeners here? Put your hands up. 
Oh, actually, not that many gardeners. What's going on, coastline? Okay, that's okay. But a gardener of the vineyard is somebody, he's not just any old gardener. This is somebody who has trained and worked for years and years, and he knows the vineyard inside out and back to front. It's something that's passed down through generations. It would have been part of his life right from the very time he was a child to growing up. And the gardener of the vineyard, wait for this, would know every single vine because the gardener of the vineyard back then would have planted every single vine by hand. Not only does he know every single vine, but he knows what every single vine needs the climate that it needs to be in, where it needs to be planted in order for it to flourish, in order for it to bear fruit. Because the job of the the gardener, the job of the vine vineyard gardener, is to produce fruit. He wants that vine to succeed. He wants that vine to produce fruit. And that is the beautiful illustration that Jesus is giving. He's saying, that's our father. Our Father knows every single one of us. He knows exactly where he wants us to be planted, where we need to be planted. He knows exactly the the climate that we need in our lives in order for us to thrive, in order for us to grow, in order for us to produce the fruit that he knows that we can produce. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that amazing? Just, Just stop and think about that a minute. The God of the universe planted you, every part of you, where you are right now. And he wants to invest in you. He wants to create a climate around you that you're going to thrive and produce fruit for the kingdom. That's really exciting. Really exciting. And it's against that backdrop that the next bit comes. The next bit which says that he will cut off every branch that doesn't bear fruit and prune those that do bear fruit. Now, I don't know about you, but cutting is not, the, you know, that thought, the thought of that isn't great, is it? The cutting back, the gardeners in here will immediately go, oh, yes, but I know that that's what's necessary. You know, I, my sister's got into gardening recently, and we had this conversation where she says to me, she calls me out in the garden when I go around there, and she says, come and see this bush, Helen, look what I've done here. I cut all of this back, and look at it, it's beautiful. It looks amazing now. And she's like, you wouldn't think it, you wouldn't think it. It was absolutely down on the ground, but now look at it. And it's that same sense of cutting that Jesus does in our lives. He wants to cut back anything that is dead. Anything in our lives that is not bearing fruit, that is dead, whether that's a bad habit, whether it's a bad thought pattern, a thought process, whether that's, whether that's not even our, you know, it's not even something that we've brought on ourselves. Maybe it's been something that's been spoken over us and we've, we've created this kind of continual mind pattern in our mind. It might be an addiction It might be lies that we've believed about ourselves, lies we've believed about other people. Any dead branch that doesn't bear fruit, God wants to cut it off and cut it back because it's holding us back from growing. And in the same way, he wants to prune. Now, pruning's a bit more difficult because pruning is when you do something with something that's alive, something that's got fruit already, something that's growing. And I looked this up in a gardening book because I have those things. And this, this said here, I thought this was really interesting. It says, what pruning does is it improves the tree or the plant's structure and directs them in a new, and, new direction to produce healthy growth. 
So sometimes we've got things in our lives that seem to be really healthy and seem to be going okay, and the gardener comes along and says, do you know what, I'm going to prune that back. And you think, no, hang on a minute. I'm quite enjoying that, thank you very much. And actually, that's my ministry. Or actually, that's something that I'm involved in and I'm seeing fruit in. And God goes, oh, yeah, but I see the bigger picture. And actually, I'm pruning that in your life because I want to take you in a different direction. And that direction is going to be more fruitful. And as I say, that's not necessarily the the easiest one. But actually, what we do is we trust the gardener. We trust that he sees the bigger picture. We don't settle for the good because we know he has the best for us and he wants the best for us. So it's being open to that sense of pruning and that sense of cutting. And then finally, Jesus wants us to abide. And in these verses, he mentions the word abide, which is the Greek word for remain. He mentions it nine times. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're having a conversation with somebody, that's not exactly a very long amount of time, was it, that, that, um, that Phil read that passage out? And if somebody says something to you nine times in that time, you're going to think, okay, okay, I've got it, I've got it. But Jesus, remember, it's the last words that he's going to say with his disciples. So what he says nine times, we know, I think that's a message he wants to get across to us. And he wants us to abide in him because he knows that apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we can't have that joy complete joy that he gives us. Apart from him, we can't have that sense of bearing fruit and growing fruit either in our lives or in the lives of other people. So abide is to settle down and to dwell and to be at home in God as he dwells in us. It's a present verb. Present verb. Okay, well, anyone know what a present verb is? Anyone care what a present verb is? It actually does help you to understand it a little bit better, though. A present verb means that it's a continual action. So actually, abiding isn't something we do once. Abiding is something that we have to keep doing again and remind ourselves to keep doing again and again. It's about being utterly dependent on Christ. I'm just seeing the clock going down, so I'm just kind of like, hopefully not speeding on too much. It's about having a a relationship and acknowledging Jesus. It's having him central to the core of who we are. Not just something that we roll out on a Sunday to come to church or something that when we go to New Wine or somewhere else, we have this great big spiritual high. But abiding is something that we do, even when it's tough, even when he's cutting something back, even when it doesn't feel like we're planted in the right place. Abiding is trusting and relying that the gardener knows exactly what he's doing, and actually, as we abide in him, so he will bring us fruit. As we abide in him, he sees the bigger picture that we don't see. The author, author Andrew Murray, that's the author, not the tennis player, he says that abiding is remaining on the highway of God's word. I love that. How do we abide? We abide by remaining on the highway of God's word. So that means that when we get troubled thoughts coming into our minds, when we get that sense of kind of worry or something's on our mind and it wakes us up in the middle of the night, we need to abide and get back on the highway of God's word. John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. 
when we have anxiety or worry, abide, getting on the highway of God's word. Philippians 4, verse 6, being anxious for nothing. When our heart is sick or our mind and our emotions take us to unhelpful places, it's about abiding and getting back on the highway of God's word. John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. When our thoughts tell us that we're not good enough, when my thoughts before this Sunday were saying, what do you think you're going to say that anyone's going to want to listen to? Who are you going to get up there and you're going to go, blah, 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 blah. menopause is going to take over, you're not going to get your words out, it's going to be a nightmare. When that thought came, I had to push it out, I had to abide and get back on the highway of God's word and say, do you know what? Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I'm going to do all things through Christ who strengthens me and I'm going to stand up there. But do you see what I mean? It's that sense of if we're not careful, we drift off to somewhere that isn't where he intended us to be. It's not the true vine. It's not what he's got for us. So just concluding, what is Jesus saying to his disciples all those years ago? What is he saying to us? He's saying to us, abide, remain in the vine. Be aware of what those counterfeit vines are that have grown up in our lives. The things that take our time, the things that take our attention, the things that draw us away from the true vine. Know the gardener. Trust him. He knows everything. He knows the climate that you need to thrive. He wants you to thrive. Trust him. And abide on the highway of his word in your life, always. Because that's what he wants. And when we do that, coastline, when we do that, Christians, when we do that as children of God, then we start to experience some of that, that joy and that sense of being and abiding in him, with him, where everything is possible. Everything is possible. And we see his kingdom come in our lives and in the lives of other people.